So we've signed a new commercial sponsorship deal with IVC, which is a Chinese wellness company. Goodness knows what that is. But anyway, the thing is about it is normally when we sign a new brand deal, it makes United feel a bit cheap. And, and sort of like lowers us by association. Like Aperol Spritz, pretty depressing band, brand to be associated with, isn't it? But in this case, it feels like a terrible fit for the company on the other end of the deal because surely Manchester United are not associated with wellness in any form. Well, not at the moment. There, there were, what was it, four or five players returned last week and another three were crocked during the week and, and missed the draw with Chelsea. So And Herrera... Um... I guess a recurrence of that rib injury. Falcao took a knock unspecified by Lou Van Gaal. Everyone's worrying about his knee. He didn't make it. Phil Jones out with shin splints. Shin splints? Who gets shin splints these days? Especially when he'd, he's only actually played one game. Managed to get shin splints and he's injured again. Unbelievable. Yeah, poor guy. Well, poor guy, really? Poor guy, really? I mean, you know, it gets to the point where you've got to wonder whether his, his preparation and... and uh, you know, regime is is right. He gets so many injuries. Well, okay, but if his preparation regime is not right, that's probably not his fault, is it? You know, he's he's not making up his own, is he? Well, unless he's you know out boozing and whatever. I mean, I don't know. It's just there comes a point where you got to wonder whether it's unlucky or something has to change, right? So for years and years, Ryan Giggs had hamstring injuries all the time. They worked out what the problem was, fixed it, and he didn't get any hamstring injuries anymore. So. I wonder whether it's time to have a look at Phil Jones and, and work out what's going on. Because either that or, you know, just get rid. Because at the moment, there's no point. You know, all that talent and uh, all that potential. And it's it's not it's doing nothing because he misses about half the games in any one season. I mean, singling out Phil Jones for that is obviously completely unfair when it's every single defender we've had at the club for the last however many years. Oh, yeah. Evans, Rio, who used to get injured. Vidic got injured. Raphael definitely gets injured a lot. Sure, missed a load of the start of the season. No, completely, and it's completely predictable as well, which is uh, why it was uh, a little odd that United didn't strengthen more in the defensive department in the summer. Anyway, anyway, that was a you know that was a preamble to the main uh, topic of discussion, I guess, which is United's uh, draw with Chelsea. What did you make of it? I loved it, man. I I loved that game. I thought we were really good in the first half, better than I expected us to be, and really functional. And that was that was good. And then we had a very very flat half an hour after we conceded, but then. We got back into it the last 15 minutes. Jose Mourinho, as you pointed out and will no doubt go into, made a very defensive switch. And then we absolutely battered them for 10 minutes and totally deserved an equaliser. Yeah, can't argue with any of that, really. I I mean, it's all about perspective, I think, with this one. So, you know, if you you were a neutral, you'd probably turn around and say Chelsea were in control of that game for most of the game. uh, And United snatched a very late equaliser after some pressure. Uh, but in reality, Chelsea looked like the better side and the team that more likely to go on and win the title. You know, that's a that'd be a kind of objective assessment of it. I think from a United fan's perspective, United came into the game massive underdogs, being really inconsistent this season, uh, and and managed to you know live with Chelsea for a very large part of that game. Uh, and in the last 15 minutes, put a load of pressure on, which we weren't expecting because United had been dying in the last half hour of games this season and come out with a fantastic result, you know. And and that's all about context, isn't it? Because I think if uh, United had just won the, the league by 10 points last season or, or something like that, we might actually be disappointed with the performance. But given what we've been through as fans for the last year and a bit, that feels extremely positive. It's more of that... 
that kind of momentum we talked about last week, uh, isn't it? You know, and 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 the really good thing was that United didn't concede a lot of goals. You know, it wasn't perfect. Rocco, in particular, made a couple of uh, pretty serious errors. Uh, no one picked up Drogba for Chelsea's goal. It wasn't perfect, but it was a lot more solid than it has been. It was indeed, and it was really fun in parts as well. Like, there's a few interesting things to note, I thought, about that game. So, defensively, maybe Rocco did make a couple of errors, but he also did a lot of things well. And I think it's definitely worth singling out Chris Smalling for a ton of praise, because he defended really well in that game, but also just... Like, everybody sit down if you're kind of walking about because something crazy is about to get said. His distribution was excellent. Yeah. Uh, what's going on there? Well, what what was going on there, of course, is that Chelsea didn't press United's back four, which helped. Uh, so United's back four had the well, ball a lot. They just let them have it, right? And uh, the, the thought, I assume, is that Chelsea were trying to keep very compact. I mean, they don't like playing... Uh, with a high line, Chelsea, because their defenders are slow. So um, they, they tried to keep very compact and they didn't press United. And that helped a lot, I think, with a, with Smalling, who's uh, not good under pressure when it comes to passing the ball. But he had a very, very good game, Smalling. On Rojo, I don't think there's a but with central defenders. Unfortunately, when you say uh, he did a lot of good things well, but... Uh, you can forget everything that came before the butt because uh, mistakes cost games a lot of the time. Didn't in this in this case. So, you know, I, and I've got plenty of time for Rojo. I think he's got lots of good things going for him. He's adapting to a new team, a new pace of play. And I think uh, a lot of the errors that he makes are uh, to do with that. So, you know, I'm not, not particularly worried about him. There's uh, other players that you'd be a lot more worried about. So uh, I thought defensively United weren't bad at all. They're very interesting the way he played for, with the fullbacks, though, because... Um, they didn't push both of them forward at the same time, which is obviously to counter Willian and, and Azar. So, you know, when Shaw bombed forward, Raphael stayed back and then the other way round. And uh, it was much less cavalier in fullback positions than it had been against many teams this season. Yeah, which I guess is also helped by the fact that the formation has much more natural width than the diamond, right? So you don't you don't need that attacking impetus from both flanks at the same time because Dimitri and Yan Azai were both playing as wingers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think some of it was just simply tactical defensively. Yeah, yeah. Uh, clear, clearly a plan. But um, yes, United had more natural width in, in uh, attacking areas than has been the case. And some balance there. I thought Yanazai had a very good game as well. You know, it wasn't brilliant throughout all of it, but added some balance for United and, and looked a threat. They switched Di Maria and Yanazai that points through the game and I thought it gave United you know a nice a nice feel to the side you know look felt more like a sort of 4-2-3-1 a kind of standard Premier League formation didn't it uh, I suppose you could call it a 4-1-4-1 but something along those things. Yeah you could also you could definitely also get away with calling it a 4-5-1 or a 4-3-3 really couldn't you because yeah Mata was playing deeper than Dimarir and Yanazai by quite a way. Mata did, he played very deep and again tactical. It was interesting how United went man for man in midfield, I thought. So Mata pushed on to Matic a lot of the time. Not really Mata's natural game now, and I guess we'll talk about him a little bit. And then Fellaini went on Fabregas a lot, and we can talk about Fellaini as well. A good game from him. And Oscar was followed around by Daily Blint, and that was a natural... Uh, match up as well so you know clearly tactical and and I think uh, in the end uh, Van Hull won the tactical battle not too many times you might say that uh, facing Jose Mourinho and and maybe we'd have a different narrative if United hadn't scored in the 95th minute Um, but I thought tactically United uh, got it 
spot on. Yeah, absolutely. And and performance wise, this is this was very interesting. So um, I guess I guess let's talk about the slightly more difficult thing first, so we can leave that on an optimistic note. Just as the game was left on an optimistic note. Juan Mata, very little involvement, 34 touches in that game. That's his fewest touches of any game where he hasn't come on as a sub. In the three games that Rooney's been absent, Mata was pretty ineffective against Everton, although he did register an assist with a nice pass for Di Maria. He then was substituted in the 66th and 72nd minutes of the other two games. Flip-flop those orders because it was 70, uh, 66th minute against Chelsea. Um the fact that Mata was taken off when we were chasing the game in both of those games with Rooney absent has got to be really bad news for where he stands in the pecking order, hasn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, if, if you made an assessment right now, you'd say he'd blown his chance of replacing Wayne Rooney at, at number 10. And I, I have to say there are quite a few caveats in terms of how United have played. I mean, I don't think he's really played as a natural number 10 in any of those games. Except except Everton. I think there's yeah. an argument there, but definitely not against West Brom or Chelsea. No, and, and you know, definitely not against Chelsea. Not necessarily his natural game. He wasn't finding the space. As I said, he pushed on to Matic a lot of the time 34 touches mind you Fellaini only had about 40 right so um you know United out past Chelsea which uh I'm not sure everyone would have predicted uh, before the game uh, although an awful lot of that came in the last 10 minutes of course and United had about 80 percent of the possession so you know a lot of that midfield for United didn't get a lot of touches United out where actually went quite direct at times Fellaini went quite direct and that was the weakest part of his game gave the ball away a lot when uh, he tried to pass it forward there you go, Maran. Just passed it backwards. Very good. Almost 100% when you pass it backwards. Um, so getting back to the issue with Mata, he, he just hasn't been able to influence the games in those those three matches he's been in for Wayne Rooney, which is a real shame because that's what you want him to do. You want the game to go through him, but it seems to bypass him. You know, the, the tactic of find Di Maria seems to be the most popular one at the moment, which is fair enough because he's United's best player by a mile. But Mata is just not the creative number 10 that we want him to be. And he can be. He's not Mata a double player of the year at Chelsea, that's for sure. No, and, and you know, I think I've said this before on the podcast, but I maintain that a lot of this is psychological. A lot of this is to do with the fact that Mata knows he's not first choice in that role. He knows that he's the one of the superstar players that's going to be sacrificed for the system. And he's just been through that at Chelsea. And I think, you know, we just underestimate the human effect of things like that, don't we? You know, it's all we always think about systems and tactics and all that. But these are these are people and he's having experiencing a human thing. And I do find it frustrating when fans write him off and I suppose fans find it frustrating when I write Wayne Rooney off but I hope I wait a bit longer than a few games you know mm, there's something else I write before off when it comes to Wayne Rooney anyway yeah matter um we shouldn't write him off because he was double player of the year at Chelsea for a reason you know he's a hugely talented player and and if we believe in him then you build a side around him I don't think uh, Louis van Gaal is going to do that so matter will enjoy playing in Spain next year and uh, maybe Robin Van Persie will join him, or maybe in Italy, because he had another dog-poor performance, I thought. You know, probably maybe better than uh, the last couple, uh, but not good. I mean, and I think that is one of the things that's not helping matter either. He's so static at the moment, and that's uh, that doesn't help if you're on number 10. You're trying to, you know, basically the three players in front of him were Di Maria and Yanazai, two excellent options there, uh, and then Van Persie, who is stood like a statue in the penalty area. Well, what's really interesting is that Van Persie is doing quite well. There's absolutely no way I would describe his performance against Chelsea as dog poor. I think that's far too harsh from what his performance actually was. I think it wasn't 
his best by of course by a mile but I thought against West Brom he was maybe bordering on dog poor but he was a lot better like his hold up play was way better and he's dealing really well with the more direct play I think but less well with the uh, with the more intricate stuff um that's my like sort of back of a matchbook take on Van Persie's performance so Van Persie only got 13 touches right and 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 part of the reason for that is he's just not moving I, I don't know maybe he's not fit Maybe there's something wrong with him. Uh, it's uh, he's not running the channels like he used to. He's he's very very static, and I think that's affecting his game. You know, he could have scored in the first half, of course. A very smart save from Courtois. I was at, on him very very quickly. I mean, he did all the right things there, didn't he? Van Persie cut it back into the corner. I don't think he even looked at the keeper. He just instinctively shot, and it was saved. And of course, he scored the winner. So it's hard. Oh, the, it felt like a winner. <laughs> very sorry about that. He scored the equaliser. Um, you know, four minutes into injury time, so you know it's hard to fault that, right? You know, he took that one well, but uh, I think we're, this is far, far from Robin van Persie at his very best. And I want him to get back there, but the longer it is since a really good Robin van Persie performance, the more you start thinking: is this is this decline? Is there something wrong with him? Mm-hmm. Uh, when are we going to get the real Robin van Persie back, if at all? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we've got Van Gaal as the manager so if it's possible to get the real Robin Van Persie back we will won't we you know that's that's what you would assume based on their positive history together and everything so we could say Mata Van Persie I don't even think Mata had that bad a game to be honest either like in in the first half he did a lot of nice things there was a gorgeous ball to Di Maria really early on which was vintage number 10 Juan Mata wasn't it and Di Maria volleyed it over which was a shame and then there was a moment where Rocco launched a diagonal and Mata trapped it and passed it to Adnan in one smooth motion. It was kind of poetry in motion, but he wasn't involved enough. So that wasn't a particularly good performance in that sense. Van Persie, you know, the goal was massive and so much emotion shown after that goal. And, you know, you can see how much it means to him as the old cliche goes. There's been lots of talk about his attitude and stuff. But once again, another game captained by Robin Van Persie, another gritty, non-give-up, fight-till-the-end performance from United. So I, I don't think too much can be read into that, but it is an interesting coincidence that that's happened in all, all well, four games, three and a half games that he's captained. It's a fair assessment. Uh, I, You know, I don't know that there's any correlation between United's sort of gritty performances and Robin Van Persie being captain. Uh, I'm not sure that there is by any means, but you can't fault United for keeping going. This wouldn't have happened under David Moyes last season, would it? I mean, frankly, David Moyes would have brought on a defender for a couple of strikers, wouldn't he? So, uh, you know, he'd be happy with a 1-0 loss. You mentioned Moisey, and uh, I saw somebody tweet, I'm really sorry, I can't credit this because I don't know who it was. Somebody tweeted, I always knew out of the two signings that David Moyes made, one of them would be useless and shipped out the following summer and the other one would be a key part of our team for years to come look i think it's a bit premature right so of course of course it is, so plainly had a decent game it was a joke i know i know so you know i i um i i uh i took a while to think about it you know because you know i'm hardly a, a maran fellaini fan i don't think he's got any of the qualities that are really required as a manchester united player and, and again i think that the assessment of him is coloured by perspective, right? So he's been so poor for United, so utterly poor for United, that when he's anything better than that, the tendency is to go, wow, he's amazing. So I took a while to have a think about his performance and looked at all the data and lots of highlights again. And, you know, there was some good stuff from Fellaini. He got about the pitch well. He was more mobile than we've seen him. Maybe that's to do with his fitness. 
He made three tackles in the game, which was good. He won a couple of headers. He was very solid with his passing in midfield. So that was the good stuff. The bad stuff, whenever he tried to play it in a progressive sense, he lost the ball, you know, a lot of the time. So he only kept the ball 60% of the time when he tried to play it forwards. He didn't contribute an awful lot to the attack. Do we want him to? I, I just don't know what he is. You know, he's not a defensive midfielder. He's not an attacking midfielder. He's not a central midfielder. So what is he? So, you know, the positives, much brighter performance. He was physical. He made some tackles. He's good defensively. Uh, There's good energy, much more than there has been in the past. The negatives are just the technical side of his game is is not good enough. So, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if he's United's answer, but... It was much better. And you uh, you say the technical side of his game, but we can't mention the technical side of Fellaini's game without mentioning that stunning karate kick ball out wide to uh, to Di Maria. I think it was Di Maria, might have been Yanazai, midway through the second half. Absolutely phenomenal pass. I'm assuming he meant it. I'm pretty sure he meant it. The Fellaini thing, the big thing that I would want to say about that is after the West Bromwich game on the last podcast, we were talking about him potentially signing starting against Chelsea and I said his pattern all last season was to have a good game against a smaller side and then be absolutely terrible against the the bigger teams and there's no way I mean no nobody is saying that Fellaini was absolutely terrible uh, for United and and I think if you look at every individual performance in that game there's every chance you could award Fellaini man of the match for United for that performance which is it's pretty amazing really so yeah I, I, I quite enjoyed it hey I want him to do well I'm pretty sure he's not the answer longer term for the derby, I'd definitely bring Herrera back in. He's he's going to help United keep the ball in a you know in a, uh, and contribute more to the attack. But but it was good. It was better, right? And that's uh, you know kind of for much more than that. You know, given what he is. So many people in the rank cast questions asking about Fellaini. Uh, one of them saying uh, at Torja saying. It was great fun to listen to Saturday's podcast after the Chelsea game, especially our thoughts on Fellaini. I'm taking credit for that because it was me that really suggested he would be no good against Chelsea. And he said, how do you consider him versus Herrera now? And I think there's no contents. I think Herrera is in a completely different class of player to Fellaini. But Fellaini is very useful for something, definitely. And if he's going to play well, that's great news. You know, if, if Van Gaal's going to get something out of him, build up his confidence again, you know, he, he was an effective player for Everton in the Premier League for a long time and that does count for something it just doesn't count for him being the savior of Manchester United yeah elsewhere so let's uh, let's praise Luke Shaw so he had a very good game it's taken a lot of criticism this season uh, bizarrely a lot of United fans writing him off after what you know a game and a half or something just just bonkers so weird especially since I think he made like one mistake in that game and a half as well anyway that's so he had a very good game I already mentioned this the kind of tactical side of uh, his game, he, he was out of position an awful lot the week before, wasn't he? And that that was uh, against West Brom and that was one of the major criticisms of him. But uh, I thought he was very sound tactically against Chelsea. I was listening to Robbie Savage afterwards. Long story, had a journey, ended up listening to it. Who said that he's not a defender, you'd, uh, you'd only buy him to be a wing-backer, at which point I switched it off <laughs> and never listened to him again. I saw you bet him his career, but you didn't wager anything on your behalf for that. So you know. Yeah, well, it was, it was just a bizarre argument. Even though I'm an argument with the United fan about uh, um, you know the effect of bringing a new manager in, and of course you know, Southampton, new manager, lost a lot of players and doing very well. Um, 
and uh, you know lots of kudos to Ronald Koeman for pulling that off um, it's not the same thing and I don't think anyone would believe that Southampton will finish above United this season it'd be a big surprise if they did you never know but I'd be really really surprised so yeah I, I bet him his job we'll, 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 we'll job swap I reckon I'd do alright on match of the day yeah definitely although you're not allowed to swear on match of the day which uh, might make it tricky for you oh, that's no good is it so so yeah other players that did well in that game well did maria you said best you know it's best player by a mile and he, he is although i reckon falcao could give him a run for his money uh on his day but did maria 18 crosses six successful i was watching that game thinking his crossing's wild today but actually that's a brilliant ratio one in three crosses finding a united player and of course uh got the crucial not quite gonna count as an assist but uh put the ball perfectly on Fellaini's head just when it mattered most. Yeah, well, look, if Di Maria had been playing in a Moyes team, United would have scored about 15 because Di Maria would have put in 40 successful crosses. <laughs> uh, so, look, a lot of people uh, said he had a bad game. He created four chances for United. Yeah. Is, is that a bad game? I mean, he's an all-or-nothing player, isn't he, Di Maria? So he, he takes a lot of risks in the way he plays. He puts a lot of fantastic balls in, a lot of them don't come off that's what you get it's you know mega quality and big numbers and he always puts up those numbers and I think that's you know he had a slightly quieter game than the other ones he's played for United but he still created a whole bunch of chances for United that's uh, that's good for me absolutely although I would also say that Mata getting a lot of criticism also created three chances so you know interesting I I wanted to come to the tactical point that you made on the uh, we had a text message exchange after the game uh, and I thought you raised a really interesting point which was that United had four of their seven shots on target in the last 10 minutes of the game after Mourinho went really defensive yeah I thought he handed the initiative to United I mean so after Chelsea scored they really controlled the game for about half an hour and and it looked like there was a big golfing quality between the the sides Uh, but he pulled off Oscar Willian and Azard Oscar you can kind of understand because he didn't have a good game at all Azard uh, was interesting because he, he gave the ball away a lot I think he uh, he turned over the ball eight times, which is uh, the only player who turned over the ball. Even anywhere near that was uh, Fellaini, who turned over four, I think. But um, uh, So, you know, you, you can kind of sort of understand that. And Mourinho has a tendency to pull Hazard off uh, and Oscar. And then Willie in the other one. So he took off with these three attacking players and brought on a load of defensive players. And he kind of really changed Chelsea's mentality I mean they changed their mentality about 30 seconds after they scored you know they slowed the game right down and they were they were happy to try and keep possession but in the last 15 minutes really handed United the initiative and and what happened was really good because I think under Moyes sorry to keep saying this but under Moyes United wouldn't have gone for the jugular there under Van Hal they did and they created a lot of chances in the last 10 minutes and, and you can say they thoroughly deserved to score one of them because they create so many chances. Yeah and I think you apologise for saying under Moyes it would have been different but I feel like that's something that needs saying over and over and over again because the absolutely bizarre narrative that somehow it isn't obvious to anyone playing the blindest bit of attention that Louis van Gaal is building something and David Moyes wasn't you know like David Moyes was a terrible choice for Manchester United manager but that doesn't mean completely abandoning the concept of patience forever you know this is this is what seems to have happened in response to the disaster of Moyes is that now like there's genuinely United fans let alone people in the media writing United off and like, I mean, not so. This is a stupid thing to talk about, really, because it's so meaningless. But the Times player ratings of that game were genuinely bizarre. 
I mean, they were just completely skewered. I think they gave Drogba a seven and Van Persie a five. And I'm pretty sure they had the identical game, which was good hold up play, nothing much else working. Both scored a goal each. You know, it's like, anyway, but that, that's that's by the by. But the, the, this notion that somehow, oh, David Moyes had one more point than United at this point last season. At Rob Pollard, friend of the show, asking, uh, can anyone tell me how many points Manchester United had at the same stage under Moyes? No one seems to know because everyone keeps saying that but it's like so what we had one more point we had about 500 less brilliant moments of excitement and about a thousand percent less hope for the future so i'll uh, i'll sacrifice that one point for those things please that, no that's that's completely fair uh, although that does bring up one thing which is an interesting one a uh, debate with uh someone on twitter about where united might finish so his his argument was that united won't finish in the top four and it's looking very bad and i said i think they will do it and they'll get around 72 75 points and i think it's possible i mean that would still be a, a very good last eight tenths of the season so you know to get 72 points united would need something like a 18 wins six draws and five losses something like that right and if you look at where we are right now that's a stretch you know it's not I'm not saying they they won't do that might not lose as many as five but might not win all those games so you know who knows my I suspect that uh, United will win enough home games that um, they'll just creep over the line so you know that's the only reason the points thing really counts you know the big picture is that United are moving forward now and it never felt like that under Moyes and um, I think you know, and it's an if if United can sort out the injury problems, if we can get some co- kind of consistency in the pattern and style of play, uh, if the players click and and suddenly take on board all the information that that Van Hull gives them, um, then we could be having a, a very good second half of the season. Yeah, and I think that that's favourite. I think that's favourite to happen. I think that's more likely than we have a very stuttering. I'm sure there'll be some poor performances along the way, but if we can put any kind of consistent starting 11 together or even you know starting nine then then I think we've got a really fantastic chance of doing exactly that at Maz underscore man underscore United says uh, can we make the top four without some signings in January and I think ultimately that's going to be a redundant question because I'm pretty sure we are going to make some signings in January I'd be very surprised if they are the player we need but I'm sure some cover will be bought in January, won't it? Yeah, well, look, the, the defensive situation is a, a real issue. If Jones, Smalling and Evans can't stay fit, then United need a central defender and uh, an experienced one. Uh, you know, as well as McNair and, and uh, Blackett have done in their total of eight games between them, uh, I think there is a tendency to, to believe they are the saviour. I had a debate on uh, the United Rant forum. United Rant uk forward slash rant on if you like uh, forums. I know it's very old school, but some people still do. Had a debate about uh, whether Blackett and McNair were more than promising or not. I-, I think promising is the right label at the moment. It brings to mind John Curtis. Remember him years ago? Absolutely blinding for sort of five or six games for United. Ended up playing at Gold Coast United as his last game. This is the thing. There's no debate to be had over whether they're more than promising or not. Adnan Yanazai is still promising. You know, it's like until a young player's played three seasons, you can't say whether they're more than promising, can you? You know, maybe three seasons is a bit long, but two games, promising is the very best they can be, isn't it? You know, at that point. Uh, I want to say something else about that game. Talk about media coverage. The idea that somehow celebrating that goal as wildly as the United players and United fans did 
was somehow reflective of United's decline is one of the most bizarre, joyless arguments I've ever heard. It was a last-minute winner. Uh, we both keep calling it winner. You both keep calling it winners because it felt like a winner because so many of us thought we'd lose that game. Chelsea are definitely in a much stronger position. Mourinho's been there a year longer than Van Gaal. They've addressed a whole bunch of issues. They're probably going to stroll to the title, right? So it was huge, that, that result. It was also huge in the context of momentum in our season because we're now still unbeaten since that Leicester game where we completely fell apart. And actually, that's a really big deal because we need that one point as well. That's That point could be the difference between Europe and no Europe. And it, it gave it gave the whole club a massive lift. It gave Van Persie a massive lift. It gives Fellaini a massive lift. Van Gaal gets to kind of, everyone gets to hold their head up in training and say we fought till the last second out of the game. And if you're a fan of a team and your team gets a point or three in the last minute of the game and you're not celebrating like a lunatic, what's the point of watching football, right? Yes, joyless is what you said. Joyless, yeah. You know, it celebrated... Uh, a last-minute winner wasn't, wasn't a winner. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to keep calling it a winner because you know what, Chelsea fans feel like losers today, and that's why they're uh, bitter about United actually celebrating. You know, huh. <laughs> right? One more thing about the media, uh, the the mega focus on you know Grapplegate <laughs> in the United box. Were were Chelsea denied a penalty or three uh, with their fighting in the box? I have to say, first first time, first few times round, I miss Smalling. Uh, and Ivanovic, because uh, I was too busy watching John Terry try to make love to Marcos Rocco. Uh, he was so tightly around him. Uh, and of course, it depends on which part of the uh, the video reel that you watch there. You know, frame by frame, Terry's trying to you know, pull off Marcos Rocco. And uh, a few seconds later, Rocco's got him around the, the head and uh, about the same with Smalling as well. And anyway, there's nothing funnier than distracting the ref and a tag team move happening at the same time we've learned this from years of watching wwf wrestling that is a good thing uh, their coordination smalling and rocco working in perfect tag team unison while bobby the brain heenan distracts the referee there one for the old school wrestling fans um but yeah uh it, <laughs> no more or less than happens every single game of course it was a penalty if the referee looks at that at the right moment and i don't know if anyone's mentioned this, Ed, but once Chelsea got quite a dodgy goal at Old Trafford, which led to them winning the title. Yeah, yeah. No, no one actually mentions that outside of Manchester United podcasts or blogs. Uh, it's forgotten in the history of of everything that they stole the title that year. Yeah, absolutely. So, all in all, an extremely satisfying draw. Definitely still problems. Chelsea definitely look like the side that are more likely to go on and win the league for the rest of this season. But as for next season, I think that's going to be a very, very different kettle of fish. So I guess maybe we should do some rank cars questions at this point, unless there's any Manchester United related news that's happened in the last few days that you want to cover. Right? No, no, I think we we covered the, the really big news, which is United's brand new Viagra sponsored partner in China and, and wherever else. Not a lot else. No books out this week. I mean, what's going on? Not one ex-United um, uh, player has come out with a new book. Although I have to say, <laughs> reading a bit more of Roy Keane's book, um, my favourite line in it is just just absolutely fantastic when he calls the kind of circle of ex-Manchester United players now working for the club like Disneyland. 
Uh, it's just one of the most cutting lines and just perfectly timed as well. Just really, really vicious from Keen. Uh, perfect stuff. Um, so still enjoying that. Okay, I'm me too. Uh, yeah, that book is definitely going to be my book of the year at the end of the year. Pretty sure it's going to be the only book I read that came out this year, but still. At Tweebijit says... Is Headlock going to be the name of John Terry's post-football metal band? No, uh, it's going to be Slip Up, isn't it? <laughs> Clearly. Um, at AB5Y says, what is our strongest 11? <sighs> no idea, man. Just no idea. Yeah. De Gea, Raphael, uh, Jones, Rojo, Shaw, Herrera, Blint, uh, Di Maria... Van Persie, Falcao, and then there's two others. I guess Rooney, because you have to have him. Apparently. Haven't you got one too many? Uh, Isn't that eleven? Okay. No, no, no. There's there's two there's two more on there. You got one more after Rooney. Whatever. I'm allowed okay. twelve players. Yanazai, maybe. Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, you know, on talent alone, you'd you'd have him in the eleven. He hasn't always shown it, but he's he's a better option than uh, Ashley Young or Antonio Valencia. I think I'm pretty sure you must doing the maths. You must have too many players there because if you've got Yanazai, Di Maria, Rooney, Falcao and Van Persie in the team that's a lot so, so I'm going yeah. I, whatever uh, but it's Shh. interesting that you pick Jones and Rocco as our strongest starting centre-back partnership because that's really where the big question is isn't it? I mean there's questions up front too but of all the different options that's the one I mean I think that's the one that I go for too although I do like Johnny Evans and and it would be nice to see him getting back to form and fitness. I think I I go for some sort of 4-3-3 with De Gea, Rafael, Rocco, Jones, Shaw, Blint, Herrera, Di Maria. No, Blint, Herrera, Mata and then Di Maria, Falcao and Yanazai up front and leave Van Persie and Rooney both on the bench. That's obviously never going to happen. Uh, at Bobby Fagihi says, is Fellaini's revival down to the way the trainer coach of Manchester United pronounces his name? Fellaini is much better than Fellaini, it would seem. I wonder whether, um, I wonder whether like, because he's Dutch and Holland and Belgium are sort of next to each other. Maybe Van Gaal's right. Maybe it is pronounced Fellaini. Yeah, I don't know. Actually, um, I don't think uh, Falani is a Flemish, though, is he? So no, that's true. Very good yeah. point. At tweets of a red says, "Can you refrain from too much banter and silliness in this podcast?" Please? We don't want any banter and silliness. <laughs> no, none of that sort. Talking of thing. of banter and silliness, have you have you seen this uh, this here Tesco milk carton that's got a big penis on it? No, I haven't. I don't know what you're talking. It's about. cracking. Um, just, just search um, on Twitter for Tesco milk penis. Uh, no, I'm not. Yeah, yeah, do it. It's funny. I'm not going to do that. That doesn't. That, that just doesn't sound like something I want to do. Unlike answering this question, which is something I want to do. I think much like the Tesco milk carton is more up up your street, Ed. This one, this one's feels a question for me. At Ben Glorious says the Ewoks were very adept at preparing for war. Does this mean that they weren't the most in- dangerous indigenous species on Endor? I think that's perhaps one of the arguments. But the other one is that the Empire have been there long enough for the Ewoks to have developed some guerrilla war skills. but it did, Or maybe it's just multiple tribes of Ewoks fighting each other. That's the other, that's the other possibility in that case. At Sean underscore Payne underscore seven says, what's for tea? What did you have for tea? Uh, this is going to sound a bit poncy. I had a uh, Marks and Spencer's salmon and shrimp salad with lentils, couscous and uh, some other veggie nonsense. That was kind of snack. I'm actually going to have some more tea after this podcast all right you got a plan you got a, a recipe like no that? i'm I'm gonna look through my extensive collection of 
of uh, you know fancy food. I had spaghetti with a with a spicy tomato and pea sauce. It was very nice. Lots of ginger in the in the tomato sauce. It was great. And tarragon. Um, at follow my trawler says if you had to name your only son, well, okay, Ed, or your second son, um, after a current United player, who would you choose? Ooh, current has to be current. Uh, well, Radamel is a pretty cool first name, to be honest. It's a pretty cool first name, but you know, being being English and all, that it would be a bit odd. Um, so there aren't too many choices. Uh, it wouldn't be Chris because my dad's called Chris, and I don't, you know, I'm not really into that whole let's let's name him after you know, previous generations thing. Yeah, Daly's a bit weird as a name, isn't it? <laughs> Daly's cool. <laughs> Daly Barker sounds good. To I think me. I think the only Dailies that are allowed are Daly Thompson. You know. If you remember the computer game and the uh, 1980s decathlon star. <laughs> yeah. And the the real human. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For those of you who liked uh, bashing keyboards, that's not a euphemism. <laughs> so, um, so, so it's going to have to be Robin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm I'm sticking with Radamel. I don't care if it's a bit odd. At Craig English ninety two says is Fellaini having a mini revival or benefiting hugely from LVG's training slash instructions. I think Ed's point about perspective is well taken and that it's it is about a relatively small improvement looks massive. But I think it could be it could be Van Gaal. I mean, if you look at the Holland squad in the last World Cup, Ron Vlaar was excellent throughout that World Cup, and that's not something anyone thought anyone would say, mm. is it? Ron Vlaar, who's currently getting battered around by. Uh... Yeah, it was Bobby Zamora, aged 97. Yeah, well, quite. <laughs> At Nightwink 99 says, could we see Fellaini taking Rooney's place? <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah, absolutely. Nailed, Don. He's world class, that Fellaini. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. After Matter's performance over the last three games, are you willing to concede that we're better with Rooney in the side? No! Absolutely not. It's that kind of, that's the kind of like, oh, we've got one point more under Moyes this time last season. Direct comparison nonsense that has no place in football. Sorry, at Simba for that response. It's not necessarily the case that we're not better off with Rooney, but I'm certainly not prepared to concede. It's like, it's the classic thing of players getting better in their absence, right? It's not like if we'd had Rooney in the last two games, we would definitely have won. We might not have come back and drawn even, you know? Well, quite. Yep. Rooney has a tendency to... Not to play it simple and go for the Hollywood ball all the time. Actually, I thought when James Dawson came on, he was quite effective at trying to stretch the game. So, there you go. Absolutely. Um, at Kevin Livingston says, as Blindy sucks a fixture, what does Fellaini's resurgence mean for Herrera? Only played against weaker midfields? No, not at all. I think Fellaini is going to be second choice when Herrera's fit. I think he's, uh, as I said earlier, Herrera is a different class of player to Fellaini. And, and if Herrera hadn't been injured, there would have been no Fellaini revival because there wouldn't... Uh, have needed to be one. And at Liz Worsley, friend of the rank cast, says, oh, it's at Liz Worsley, I was corrected at one point, Jones, Smalling and Evans, you can only keep one out of the three. Who do you choose and why? I think I choose just about Phil Jones for the, I feel like his top level potential is higher than either of the other two, but it's close because of the injuries. We'll call her whatever we like, jog on, love. <laughs> no, it wasn't It wasn't Liz that corrected me, actually. I just heard someone uh, pronounce the name and it was different and I felt, felt bad for having pronounced it wrong all these years. Very good. Or bad. Okay, and the final question, actually, from at Jack Hawkins 23 says, who would you put in centre midfield against City? That's why I asked this question, because it leads us nicely into previewing the City game. Out of Carrick, Fellaini, Blint, Herrera, Fletcher and Di Maria. I think you take Fletcher out of that straight away. Oh, sick boy, yeah. No, you you don't have him uh, in there, and I don't think Carrick's ready either. I, I would go with uh, Herrera 
and Blint as my two sort of holding players and then uh, play three attackers in front of him. So so you're saying, would you... I mean, I guess you'd drop Fellaini then. Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, I, I think United... I mean, there, there's going to be an argument that United should have a physical presence in there versus Yaya. But I think Yaya is going to be better than anyone, even Fellaini, when it comes to a physical battle. So you might as well go for the technical piece and, and uh, play Herrera to keep the ball, which will be pretty important, I think, if United are under pressure a lot of the time. And I actually don't think Fellaini's that good defensively, right? So we're going away from home. I'm not sure that he's actually going to provide that kind of defensive shield that United might want. So yeah, that's my justification. I think that's a very reasonable justification. Uh, This is a fascinating one, isn't it? Uh, One thing that I wonder is if Falcao and Van Persie are both fit now that Rooney's back, are we going to actually revert to a sort of diamond midfield again? But then even if we do... Are we saying that we're going to see Rooney at the tip of the diamond? Yeah, it is, it's a good question because yeah, actually United have found some balance playing two wide players and in the defensive side of things as well, as we noted. So it'll be an interesting one if they do switch away from that and go back to the diamond so they can squeeze Rooney, Falcao and Van Persie into the, the side. I mean, the chances are that, that Falcao is not going to be properly fit, so he may well see find himself on the bench anyway and then um, the Van Hal can squeeze three midfielders in there and kind of gerrymander it that way. But um, if Falcao is fit and raring to go, you have to play your 50-odd million pound player, don't you? So uh, it'd, be a, it'd be an interesting choice, that one. I mean, you don't have to play him, do you? Because you can sort of have the excuse of, of easing him back to fitness, I suppose. I'm inclined to think that we're going to play the shape that we've played in the last two games. I'm inclined to think that if all the same players are fit and available, even if there are some extra players fit and available... The starting eleven might be the same, especially if Herrera's not, you know, because there's fit and there's fit, isn't there? Coming back from a broken rib, I'm sure that that's uh, that takes some easing back into, doesn't it? Obviously, Jones isn't going to be back because shin splints is pretty nasty; it can take a good long time to get back from. So we we can assume that assuming <laughs> that Chris Smalling stays fit for a week, which is a big assumption, but that that we're likely to see the back four the same. Um, and then midfield, it's really Fellaini or Herrera that's the big decision. I, I don't see Carrick coming back into the starting eleven against City. More likely to come on as a sub against Crystal Palace at a push. Maybe even start against Palace, depending on how the City game goes. And then Di Maria, Yanazai, and either Van Persie or Falcao and Rooney. And that would be Van Persie. But, I mean, of course, that, that changes things. I mean, it's easy to say just swap one player out in matter. But Rooney plays in a very, very different way. He'll certainly push further forward. Uh, he'll play more like a striker, playing deep rather than midfielder. He, I thought, uh, Jay uh, at Data Rant made a very good point in his latest piece in that you know, Van Hal thinks of Rooney as an attacker and he thinks of his number 10 as an attacker rather than matter, the midfielder playing in that role. And that's one of the reasons why he goes for him. But um, Rooney will tend to switch the ball to the wings very quickly rather than looking through for the three ball. So he'll speed up play rather than slow it down. So it, it changes the way United play significantly if you play Rooney in that role. I mean, I guess whatever happens in terms of the tactics, Rooney will be playing um, at that number 10 position. And the, the real question is, uh, you know, one striker or two and Fellaini or Herrera. Yeah, absolutely. And or a surprise, like maybe Valencia will be back and he'll decide that, that actually there's a physical presence in the centre of midfield. That, that... Uh, here's a good idea. Why don't we go to three at the back and play Ashley Young at left wing back? Yes. 
I'm totally on board. Let's do it. Let's do it. It's very hard to be properly optimistic about this game. It was hard to be optimistic about the Chelsea game, even though I had some optimism because our home form's been real terrific since the opening day of the season when it, of course, wasn't. But our away form's a bit patchier. Still no win on the road. And, you know, Etihad is not a happy hunting ground for United anymore. But the flip side of that is City have been a bit bobbins, haven't they? Yeah, lost to West Ham at the weekend. And, uh, you know, Sam Aladici doing the business at West Ham at the moment, isn't he? I mean, so many haters and uh, he's turned them around and they're going great guns at the moment. Look, I don't think you can read a lot into the last game. City are a bit inconsistent. Uh, but they've got some big, big players. I mean, David Silva's on fire. Scored such a wonderful goal at the weekend. It's going to be a, a you know really difficult game for United City. You'd expect to have a lot of possession. They just have a lot of possession anyway. They retain the ball very well. Um, interesting stat I saw today. Only 7% of City's passes are long, uh, as opposed to 13% for United. United a lot more direct under Van Gaal than City under Pellegrini. And you'd expect United to be under a significant amount of pressure. It's going to be a very difficult game. I mean, everyone feels high after that uh, late equaliser against Chelsea, but I don't think it really changes the dynamic for the Derby. City are big favourites for this one, and it's going to need another massive performance from United to get something out of it. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I would say is different from the when we played them there this time last season is you feel that this is a side with a big performance potentially in it. I definitely, I definitely think it's second favourite to happen and most likely City are going to win this game. But it's not like it would be a completely colossal shock if United put together a really good performance. It would be, you know, we've got a lot of really phenomenal players because, you know, you, as you rightly say, City have got some brilliant players. They've got Aguero, who's been on fire. Silva, who's properly caught fire again and sort of did score that lovely goal. Toure, who you never know when he's going to explode into maximum form. But... Mangala's looked hot and cold in defence. Uh, company's got a mistake in him, you know, when you need him to. Joe Hart certainly has a mistake in him. And we've now got some players who are in really sparkling form and are excellent. So, you know, that that's the, the flip side. Having said all that, of course, I think City are favourites for this. And that's uh, that's unfortunate. And, and maybe that'll be different this time next season. But for now, that's the City project is a lot more advanced than the current United project, isn't it? Oh, dear. You, yeah. you used the word. I did. I, City. I... Don't use that. Yeah. Project <laughs> 2. Terrible. Uh, well, look, right. Absolutely. This is a mature side, uh, City, and much, much further ahead in their planning. Much as uh, Van Hal said the same about Chelsea, of course, a year ahead, which I think is fair, you know, so... City have been a little bit inconsistent. There, there are some parallels here with the last time City tried to defend the title and did it very badly. Of course, Pellegrini is a, you know, a manager that creates a lot less conflict than Roberto Mancini, so it's it's less of that. You do wonder whether the fact that they're stuffed full of mercenaries does affect their their attitude. You know, it, it's just obvious, right? Might be, but you'd expect them to be fully up for the. The derby is going to be a huge game for United. I do think United are capable of getting something out of it, though. And I agree with your point that United have a big performance in them, right? And uh, Chelsea has proven that. So United, they can lift and raise their game. Those extra few percentage points are getting better by the week. Um, maybe this is the breakthrough game of the season. Yeah, and if it's not, it's not the end of the world, is it? That's the other thing. Like, this is, you know, we won't be talking like this next season, all being well. But for now... 
points here is a bonus, right? This is not this is not where we need to be getting our points necessarily. But of course, it's the derby, and so it has massive emotional significance. I just want to pull a couple of things about, out of what you said. First of all, Chelsea, I think, are one year ahead of United in terms of building, but City are actually three years ahead or whatever because they've had a very stable, organised building process for quite some time now, haven't they? Whereas Chelsea really declined and then it was only once Mourinho arrived they started to rebuild. But City have fully embraced that director of football structure, haven't they? And a lot of the people that were in the team that won them the league two seasons ago or three seasons ago, which we don't talk about, are still in the team, aren't they? It's not It's not at its heart a different team so yeah, uh, I guess with all that said, um, we should predict what we think is going to happen in this game. I'm seven nil to United. <laughs> yes, seven, maybe eight. I'm a bit undecided. No, uh, I think United are going to get a draw. Okay, there you go. Nice. I'm being positive. That's optimistic. I think, I think City are going to win two one. Boo, boo. I'm booing myself. In you, disappointed in you. I think United are going to get a one-all draw. That'd be fine. That'd be great. I'd love that. I I hope it goes in off the referee's backside and then through Joe Hart's legs <laughs> just to watch the Blues melt. As you said to the Paris Angel on Twitter, Fellaini handball in the 96th minute for a goal. Be awesome, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would. It'd be lovely. I, I would actually, I would be a full full Fellaini or Fellani. Fellaini, Fellani. <laughs> You're a Fellani fan. I, I'll be a Fellani fan. For life, <laughs> fellas. Um, he handballed it in in the last minute. It'd be brilliant. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening to the show for another week. I hope you've enjoyed it, and we'll be back the same time next week. In the meantime, you can get us on Twitter. You can get me at UTD Rantcast. You can get Ed at United Rant. You can get producer Tom at Teej Sound. If you want to chuck a couple of quid our way because you like the show feel free to do so at unitedrant.co.uk slash donate and as ed said there is a forum on united rant we don't plug that because uh but if you do like forums it's a it's it is one it is it is a uh a litany of vile nastiness <laughs> yeah a hive of scum and villainy as very good, it's good stuff. Solo. yeah yeah it's good stuff <laughs> so if you like that kind of thing and it floats your boat there you go uh yeah and uh a review or rating on iTunes uh, really helps us because iTunes is weird and it makes a massive difference to the way the show is. Um... So basically, if everyone listening wrote us a review this week, we'd be number one in the iTunes charts. And that would be very exciting for us and the other six people that run podcasts that look at the iTunes charts. Yeah, are we allowed to gerrymander the result in that way? Here you go, social experiment, all 10,000 or whatever it is that are listening this week. <laughs> go off and rate us five and write wonderful things about us and uh, and Paul will come around and shake all your hands afterwards. Honest, gov. I totally would. If it was if it was practical, I would. I, I would definitely shake your hand slash give you a hug at Old Trafford if you're, we're ever there at the same time, that's for sure. Very good. Of, co- of course, the thing about this uh, doing a podcast for the fun of it uh, and, and not the cash is that it really doesn't matter if one person or one million people <laughs> listen to it uh, except for our own personal gratitude yeah that's right because we yeah we basically do this as an excuse to talk to each other once a week about football and we've been doing it for some millions of years now and we're going to keep doing it for the time being so thank you very much for listening and uh, we'll be back same time next week